Hi, I'm Andy Peregrine from Modiphius, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about how much detail you should include in a published adventure. In the news, more Dragonlance previews, Takesis is Tiamat officially and controversially, the new Dungeons & Dragons movie has miniatures coming soon, The Walking Dead RPG is on its way from Free League and more, plus a brand new sketch about a group of poor travelers who are more than they seem. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This podcast is sponsored by Orange Pinafore, the most convenient meal delivery service in town. Simply sign up for 13 groats a week and Orange Pinafore will deliver the ingredients for a range of delicious meals straight to your door, including lambas bread. Ugh, why the hells have such tedious food? Worm sandwiches, xenomorph eggs, weasel tongue. Ooh, I assure you, that is delicious. Maggot cheese, roasted peacock and marmite-flavoured ice cream. Delicious. Mm. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ And with me this week it's Pete's Coffee from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, as ever, it is an absolute delight to be here. Joining us again, as she started at the beginning of the year. So we're coming up to the end of the year and there is no sign of her stopping. It is the one! It is the only! It's... It's me, Jessica, from EN Publishing. Wow. Okay, let's make a podcast, shall did we? You, did you not oh, enjoy yeah. that? Russ wishes he had me as his hype man. It was fine. <laughs> so we have a listener question this week. Let's dive straight into the listener question. Ooh, yes. Okay. So don't forget it this time. Yes. <laughs> so our listener question this week is yes. from Benjamin Rogers. Who would like to know? Yes. In your experience, what is the best way to get players to engage with their characters rather than playing the rules of a game? Ooh. I'm not 100 percent sure you understand that because I do want them to play the rules of the game. Yeah. It's not an either or thing. I, I, yeah, but I think it was my interpretation of this is there's different ways of doing role playing. You yeah. have role playing as in R O L L, where you are just mechanically doing things. And then you have role playing R O L E, which is a bit mm-hmm. more you're doing things in character. Um, so perhaps making decisions that are the correct one for your character, but maybe aren't the best mechanically optimized. I guess that's a scale thing, isn't it? There is, and there's. It's, it's a gradient mm-hmm. rather than a binary thing. And it is, yeah, it's a gradient. And I think it's a preference of roleplay style, and it depends on the oh. game that you're playing. Like, you mm. get some more crunchy tabletop RPGs that are more rule heavy. And so, of course, you're going to be rolling more dice and thinking about the mechanics and how to play effectively using that. Uh, and then you have other tabletop RPGs that are completely rules light and are just, you know, completely freeform and more yeah. like doing improv. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, I've got to admit that. To me, it's not to you know just sitting around in a group just doing improv. Oh, it's not it's not appealing to me as a, oh, as a fun to activity. Me so much, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's different, quite different, fun. Yeah, it's different styles, though, isn't it? It's different. Yeah. It's different styles. People like, so I people like different things. So I would say to kind of answer the question a bit, how do you make your characters do that? I mean, your players do that. I'd kind of say oh. you 
can't because it's also don't down try to, to if they don't want to yeah <laughs> but i think you need to make it clear what style of game you're running before yeah. people come to the table mm. um so that they know it's the type of game they enjoy in the same way you if you're inviting someone to a movie if they really didn't like superhero movies don't invite them to come watch the latest marvel film with you because it's they're not going to enjoy it and it's not that marvel's bad and it's not that they're wrong it's just it's not their movie and I think it's the same with tabletop RPGs. I reject this as a fundamentally fallacious dichotomy between role-playing and role-playing, because uh, it's all role-playing. The way you get people to... I mean, from this sort of question, I am inferring that what Ben would like to see is people talking in character and being in character. Not everybody is comfortable doing that, and that is fine. Mm-hmm. But you can make it feel safer and encourage this behaviour very, very easily. And the way there, there are various ways to do it. The first is, of course, you set a good example. Like, you throw yourself at it and you chew that carpet. That, you see a bit of scenery, you chew on it and uh, get go through it with your own acting. And are you now like, describing my dog? Yes. And also an Hudson excellent GMing an style. excellent role player. <laughs> you can learn a lot from dogs in both GMing and in counselling. Hmm. I'm just saying that unconditional positive regard is something that you need to bring both as someone who's running a game, and, and also to a client uh, counselor relationship. Well, I don't know. It can get it can get a bit exhausting after a while. It is that sometimes, that raw emotional. Just chill out. Can you just have a bad mood for once? But I think you always know how a dog yeah. is feeling. They're very emotionally transparent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is why a lot of people like them. But anyway, like I say, um, you demonstrate it, like show that you know you're you're you're, you're, you're really yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which is always a strong place. Um, when people are shy or unsure, mm-hmm. then you differentiate. So someone who's like, you know, like me and given a chance, we go, like, yeah, let's do the thing. I That's would... fine. I need very little encouragement. Someone who's like, oh, I don't know. I would like to hit them with my sword. You say, yes. Kate says, what's your, what's your battle cry? And they go, rah. And they're like, excellent. Have some inspiration. Assuming we're playing D&D. You know, use whatever. Very, very weird if you're like playing something. Like, you're playing Monopoly and you just go, have some inspiration. Yeah, Maybe not, just give them I a mean, dollar. Well done. Here's what, a tip. What, what, I where you're coming from. Monopoly is not generally considered a role playing game. I believe well, that's what we're after. Depends how you play it. Good to know. Good to know. You should see okay. how well I can play a top hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, in, in, encourage people, make them feel safe, and just ask them for a little bit extra and offer them inspiration. That is why, or whatever meta currency you use, Savage World, you have bennies. So I have a whole big jar of shiny glass beads because there's nothing like holding up a shiny glass bead. Say, would you like to this yeah. much? See, I think I think yeah. in D and D, I don't think inspiration ever really works as a reward because it's never on the forefront of anyone's mind. I always forget to use it. Most people I know always forget to use it or forget they have it I, unless they're reminded. So I well, kind of feel like it doesn't really work that well as a reward. My my table, we use it quite a lot. Um, mm. It gets used more in person because my GM mm. has physical tokens for inspiration. That would help, yeah. And yeah. gives it to you. And then you have it on your character sheet so you remember it's there. Yeah, uh, that would definitely help. And you don't yeah. have to buy anything in particular. You can use whatever you mm. want. You could use like yeah. marbles or like, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I'm I think just having something physically there shiny is things. I, I know I do. Um, well, I know I do. Even better, you can make the inspiration something really, really tasty, some kind of really tasty treat. So it will be sitting there, and they can use the inspiration, or they can eat they it, and they'll be it. struggling with this. No, they'll be struggling that's with because they eat it, they can't great. use it. You see, really they'll be struggling great. with this decision yeah. the entire time. No, I, no, that is something you can certainly do. I do a similar thing with my bardic inspiration. I've got these guitar picks that say bardic inspiration on them. So when oh, I nice. give them to people, it reminds them to use it as well. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, and yeah, so like, uh, and for say advanced precision, I like to give out a floating expertise dice, uh, which is my own hack of the rules because mm-hmm. Destiny is very cool. Yeah. Um, and inspiration, it's 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 very useful in tier one. As soon as you start getting to the higher levels, five to ten, it becomes a bit OP. But yeah, yeah. it's fine. Um, but. That's so. So I like the. So thing. basically, answer to the question is. I have another example and bribe them. I have another. I have another (laughs) thread to how to encourage people to roleplay their character in a game, Mm. Um, and that would be give them a reason to care about their character in the story and care about Mm. other people's characters. So, for example, if you're in a like you say say you're in a classic campaign where we're Mm. running off to fight the the big bad evil person in a tower somewhere, you know, let's Mm. say we're doing that. You've got a cause in the story to do that, maybe because you're a nice person. But I think if you give a character a reason for them personally to be invested in that mm. then that gives them a reason a role play reason for doing what they're doing beyond i'm mm. going to kill the bad thing because i'm a hero like mm. i don't know for example it could be that that person wrongs someone in their family so they're going for revenge or i don't know give them a personal reason why their character wants to do that and i'd say before the campaign as well give them reasons to role play with other characters so i think it's really good to give characters connections in advance so they know in advance oh, this is how we interact, this is what we do. So it's kind of like what you were saying, Peter, it's making it safe and easy for them to interact in character because they know that dynamic. So you start mm. off going, we're siblings, yeah. so we have this banter back and forth already. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. So I think setting up those things makes it feel safer for people to role play. Yeah. But yeah, all that, I, I, with I mean, the initial caveat, don't try and force people to do something they clearly don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, if, if oh, you're yeah. wanting, I would say if you really want a game like that, go into it and say to people, hi, I want a really high role play uh, kind of in character style of play for this that's just put that out on your stall when you're asking inviting people to join your game because then you'll get people like myself and peter running over to play and the people that don't want to play like that will be like oh not for me thank you though yeah i, I mean just going back to what you were saying jessica uh if you're running for a group of new people and for whatever reason you don't have ready access to backstories because backstories are very intimidating to write mm-hmm. uh, what you can do is just when you're doing the introductions around the table rather than getting people to tell you their backstory ask them to describe their physical appearance a bit about themselves and then ask them how they know one or two other people at the table one, and that one, way you can make a chain mm-hmm. one yeah. clever little idea you can do is borrow that thing from Dread where you just ask them some pertinent questions so you don't mm. go as far as Dread you don't have to have a whole list of questions and have, yeah. but you could just ask each player a question mm. about their character and they could just make it up on the spot, but whatever it is, it gets them thinking about their character and things like that. And it could just be like, you know, where did you get your shield? Or, you know, hmm. uh, you know, that, or something like that. And they'll just come up with a little anecdote or something, but it starts grounding their character in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Get a character backstory and how to get it out of people in a painless manner that's something that's very interesting to me but anyway i feel we may have strayed somewhat beyond i think we've well and truly dealt the question we have answered the question thank you very much well let's do some news then yes oh yeah what's going on okay we got a bunch of dragon dance news of course so should we start with the dragon dance news yeah. Yeah, can do. I okay. think every week we're going to have a little bit of dragon dance news for the next for the next few weeks. So yeah. everyone's aware because yeah. it's coming out on December sixth. So, we have got the Dragon Queen's table of contents. Mm-hmm. We have got a discussion on Tarkesis and Tiamat. Which of those two items tickles your fancy? I have not seen the the table of contents yet. So, so we we'll start with that. I would like to tell me about that. Okay. So discuss. Friday I know it's on Yet World, but I haven't read it. Fry Minis over on Twitter mm-hmm. received 
a copy of the book, and I think it's the whole deluxe set, actually, because he's got mm-hmm. the um, Ooh, lucky them. board game as well. And a couple of other people have as well on Twitter. Um, they're going out early or something, I don't know. Anyway, mm. has a copy of the book, yes. has done like a flick through and stuff, and posted a picture of the table of contents, Ooh. which we have here. So uh, bum, bum, bum. allow me to show you said table of contents. 224-page book, seven <laughs> chapters, and five Ooh. appendices. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Mm. A bit smaller than your player's handbook. Yeah. Oh, gear and magic items. For yeah, example. so the, the chapters mm. are character mm. creation. Yeah. Prelude to war. Mm. When home burns. Doesn't sound very nice. Mm-hmm. Shadow of war. The northern wastes. Mm-hmm. City of lost names. And then siege of Calaman. Mm. And then dependencies. Gear and magic items. Friends mm-hmm. and foes. Sidekicks, story concept art, and maps. I see they have a page on gnomish siege weapons. Yeah, I mean you can go in. Yeah, you know, you know, we've got the whole table of contents in front of us. You can see every, mm. every everything on there. So looking at the um, and of course we've got a whole sort of like uh, introductory chapter as well, which is kind of setting stuff. It is the gods of good, neutral, yeah. and evil. Um, talks about Ancelon, the War of the Lance, the Dragon Armies, some of the history of Quinn and stuff like that. And oh. that's about that's about fifteen pages that bit. It's yeah, I've forgotten they had twenty one gods in mm. on Quinn. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, but gods. it looks like each one's only got a paragraph or so. Because if okay. you look, yeah, yeah, uh, it's like pages sixteen to seventeen has mm. all of the gods of neutrality. So yeah, they've got a paragraph mm. each, basically. Yeah, um, I've been spoiled by the animation series Maya and the Free, where my first introduction to a South American pantheon, don't even know which one it was, was Zat's Prince of Bats. Hmm. As soon as I saw that, has a introductory thing, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Love it. Let's go. All so right. is the rule now that all gods must rhyme? I mean, if you're going to be called... <laughs> rhyme Prince Bats, or alliteration. Yeah. Nice. We also had Hurry and Can, uh, a hurricane, god of storms and lightning. Mm. Uh, twin gods. I was like, okay, mm. I see what you did there. Nice. That makes sense that they're twins, yeah. I'm mm. I look at the character creations. Yeah, well, I was just looking at that. That's the bit yeah. that interests me. And the people of Kryn is saying mm. dwarves, elves, gnomes, and humans. So, so they it are... doesn't mention... Got oh, it doesn't mention... Oh, it mentions then, Kender down below. And then yeah, race okay. option, Kender. Where's the... Where's, yeah. where's the uh, Myrtles? Not there. It doesn't look like that's what? a play... So you've got... So it looks like you can play those five... Playable races. Mm. I hope they've got some gully dwarves, but they've only got what a page on dwarves. I think they're Less just not. Page. I think you'll find they're probably just not going to mention gully dwarves. I, I think so because it wasn't yeah. meant, as we said last week. It wasn't mm. mentioned in the uh, the board game. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so the gazetteer, there's 15 pages at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, five of which is the gods. Yeah. And then know, the right? character creation there is 14 pages. Mm-hmm. And then you're into the adventure. So basically, mm-hmm. there's 30 pages at the start of the book, which is kind of source book material. And then the rest of the book is all adventure. Whoa, they got like three pages of feats, it looks like. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot of feats. Yeah, they've got, they got Knights of Samia, Mages of High Sorcery, mm-hmm. then the feats, then a Sorcerer mm. subclass. Yeah. Which is presumably that Lunar Sorcerer. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I am excited to see the feats. You're excited to see them? Yeah. I'm excited. Woohoo! Well, I oh. just, I wonder if they'll be more like war combat focused. Do you and... remember the Anathakana preview 
or playtest they yes, did, basically. and they had basically Squire of Slamnia, or I can't even remember what the feats were. Yeah, it was some sort oh, of feature. Yeah, yeah, I do. Knight like of that. the oh, what's it? Knight of the Crown, Knight of the Sword, Knight yeah, of the Yeah, they, they had a whole bunch of setting yeah. specific feats. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Perhaps do you think it'll be those? Yeah, or adaptations. Yeah, I don't know if there's three pages, but I'm intrigued. And my yeah. um, eyes have seen a sorcerer subclass, and I guess mm. is that to make it fit with the setting? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's tying the sorcerer into the moons of magic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, of course, we've got the adventure itself, yep. which is one, two, three, four, five, six chapters of adventure. Yeah, yeah. Do we know what levels it's going to? Or three that... to thirteen, I think I recall. Oh, chunky. Okay. Yeah. I don't don't hold me to that, but I think yeah, that's yeah. what it was. I but mean, that's yeah. quite that's quite good because a lot of them finish off at eleven, mm. which. But I think yeah, a little bit of tier three, yeah, yeah. That's a treat. Yeah. Friends and foes there. I'm just looking at that. They haven't got any named um Oh no, there's Lord Soth. There we go. Page two oh six. Lord Soth on page two oh six. Yeah yeah. Could be interesting to see what Lord Soth's stats are like. Yeah. Hopefully they do a better job with him than they did with Strad, who they uh severely understated. Uh, I, I don't know, there's a lot of debate about that. Um but you know, certainly for a lot of the games I run, Strad would definitely be understated mm. because they're just like Filthy power gamers, a lot of them love it. Mm. Um, <laughs> but for many parties, uh, probably got, probably got it about right. It's just how you play yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the table of contents. Anyway, I mean, we'll put a link in the show notes, and people can actually look at the table of contents if they want, because you know we can't read out everything on it. Yes, but yeah, no, looks all right. Yeah, yeah. looks good. Looks fine. Yeah. Modra's excited. I'm ready mm. to see more. But mm. there was more Dragonlance info we had this week. Yeah, so Tarkesis and Tiamat. So, Peter, in yes. your mind, yes. are Tarkesis and Tiamat the same entity, or are they different entities? No, completely different. Okay. Because, like, Tiamat has never shown any interest in being, like, any sort of human form, and is, like, super chaotic, evil, without... Like, for me, I go really back to the Persian mythology, where Tiamat was the enemy of Marduk, and is just, like, a sea dragon that wrecks shit, and that sort of, like... Godzilla-like chaotic world-ending scale, uh, which is largely what Marduk's job is to keep her in line. Uh, whereas Tarkesis, very much more a planner, like way over on the other side of like the um, lawful chaotic spectrum, um, will use either force of arms, force of like personality, or alternatively can just be a dragon and wreck stuff if that's what needs doing but that's not the first and only option in the toolbox it doesn't overcome through power alone so like for me Tarkesis is a way more interesting villain than Tiamat ever is Tiamat is scary in the same way a tidal wave is scary Tarkesis is scary because she's really smart okay well but apparently the the so disagrees with you um, yeah. They've officially confirmed... They've been wrong before. <laughs> they've officially confirmed that Tiamat and Tarkesis are the same entity, just with different names on different worlds. Yeah. Margaret Weiss, co-creator of Dragonlance, yes. very much disagrees, and responded to this in all caps, Tarkesis is not Tiamat, damn it! Well, I'm afraid me and Margaret Weiss will just have to agree on this <laughs> and respectfully disagree with the choices of the Wizards of the Coast design team. Mm. I'm sure it's happened before. Well, the thing is, I think it's been one of those things that's changed over the years back and no. forth anyway. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I think, I think there have been different iterations. I mean, Tiamat at one point was literally just a big dragon with yeah. five heads. 
Whereas Clark Eastis is a greater god of evil. Not even just the god of dragons, the greater god of evil in, in Kraenon. Yeah. Um, Alignment-wise, uh, Tiamat has traditionally been lawful evil and dwells in the Nine Hells. Oh, okay. So whereas, the devil, then. whereas Clark Eastis is chaotic evil, I believe. Is <laughs> okay. <in the> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sorry, my, my familiarity, I'm afraid, is from the books mm. rather than like actual knowledge thereof. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I, mean, I, I agree. I don't think they're the same entity. Yeah. I don't, they're definitely similar. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they both turn into five-headed trackers yes, and are yeah. semi-divine and are super powerful and you're probably... You do not want to fight them heads up because it's going to go super poorly for you. But and I also, through, both their main enemy is a platinum dragon. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah I mean... A hammer or what, paladine, are they the same entity? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, you, you, you're going up against, like, a dragon. What Set a dragon to fight a dragon, that's what I say. Mm. Why do you think the Wizards of the Coast chose to combine them, then? Because they're doing their whole multiverse thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're trying to do the the, uh, the, the the D&D cinematic universe type thing where everything is able to interact with everything else. And I guess yeah. that simplifies it and just makes it more, makes it easier to do. I don't know. I yeah. Don't. yeah. Well, I didn't expect you to know 100%. I figured you haven't had a glass door against Wizards of the Coast mm. building. Well, like, I think when you know. Dragonlance was designed, well, it wasn't well, intended. On Discord. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't intended to be part of a multiverse. It wasn't yeah. intended to exist in the same... Mm. Multiverse as the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance yeah. just existed on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah. Um. So, uh, um, when it's just on its own, then then it works. Yeah. 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 Being able to spell jam there from the Forgotten Realms was... seems weird to yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. Like because it just doesn't seem like it works the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're just different existences, aren't they? They're not just yeah. different places. I don't. I, know, but... I mean, I don't know how people play, but I imagine a lot of people play particular settings. Because they went to that setting. Yeah. I guess there are mm. some people that go around and play everything, but I don't know. Because I think when you're doing a particular campaign, you pick a tone and a vibe and it's going to be set here and we're yeah. telling this sort of story and then... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's just like the nature of D&D and it's zero to God because, like, once you start getting into the mid-teens, the stuff the players can do on the regular without any particular magic kit, is the sort of thing that wouldn't be out of place in um, Hindu myth and legend or Journey yeah. to the West. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. The, the Bhagavad Gita, I want to say. Uh, probably mispronouncing that. But yeah, like yeah, those sort of like epic stories of yeah. amazing people doing you know, just wild stuff. Yeah. Her- yeah. Hercules would be pretty in, in pretty yeah. good company in a D&D game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So... Like and that's at the lower end of tier three. You start getting into tier four, like they can make wishes and change the world, the universe. Like you know, weekly godlike. I mean, weekly godlike entities at best, at least worst. Do we have any more dragon lance things apart from? I've got some. I've got, I've got some more dragon news. Oh. Not dragon lance specifically. What well, dragon right. news? Do Is you this recall, dragon magazine? Yes. Do you recall Dragon Plus? I do not. No. It was the online magazine that Wizards of the Coast put out for about five years for 5e. Um, ended oh. earlier this year. I think it was like May oh. or something. They finally um, ended it. Okay. At first, it was mainly just promotional stuff. But it started mm. to have like... Then it started to have like content. It started to have some decent yeah. content as, as time mm. went on. Um, and some good interviews and some previews of stuff. And yeah, it started getting, it started getting more interesting. 
Um, it ended earlier this year, but it's always been available for you to browse and have a look at. Mm. Except on Tuesday, this is the Coast put out a statement via TNT Beyond. On November the 15th, they put out an announcement saying Dragon Plus will be removed from app stores on or around November the 15th. Wow. And DragonMag.com will be redirected and its content will no longer be available. Oh, okay. Wow. I guess it's expensive to host it and keep it up and yeah. stuff. Well, is it? An hour, la- oh, an hour later, it was gone. Bloody hell. Okay. Yeah. High-handed. Mm. Um, so you can no, no longer get hold of Dragon Plus. Oh, well, you were just selling it to me a minute app, ago. Via, via the website. If you go to DragonMag.com, it just sends you to D&D Beyond now. So Ooh. gone. People who have subscribed to it's this? Fr- it was free, to be fair. Okay, I mean, no, well, nobody bought it. But well, um, it's still vexing that there's no yeah. archive because it really isn't that expensive to keep. Yeah, I don't understand that in place. decision That's, either. Well, maybe what you're going to test next will illuminate it more. What am I going to tell you next? Oh, was that it? That, they <laughs> that, taken, was, that was it. That was the they, news, Peter. That was they, it. They've taken Dragon Plus and they've binned it. Yeah. And for no particular explanation, just because they didn't fancy it. Oh, okay. Well, that is a choice you can make. Absolutely. I hadn't. I didn't even know about it until you just mentioned it. So I, yeah. I'm personally not going to mourn it. It was their there must biggest be that do. promotional single promotional thing, I think, for years. Yeah, I mean, maybe it wasn't getting enough traffic, but maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there are some people who are pretty upset because they're like, "What happened to all this stuff?" I liked. Yeah. No. Oh, well. I'm sure if you look on the internet, you will find people that are pretty upset about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I bet. I bet there's some people that, if you knew about I it, never yeah. paid, I never paid. I honestly never really paid that much attention to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't know it existed. It would have been nice to maybe because I had a look. I wonder but, if somebody yeah. has archived it themselves. Of course they have. Yeah, there'll be loads yeah. of people who've forgotten. Well, I've, I've got something that's about newsletters. Okay, yeah, that's so a segue. So it might be an actual segue. Segway. Um, as you will have noticed, I dropped into the chat a link to a Google Drive's document which itself links to a Twitter post. And what that is, it's like creating a newsletter ring for all your TTRPG stuff. A newsletter what, sorry? A newsletter ring. Newsletter ring? Yes, you recall uh, back in the wild old days of the early aughties, a wild and lawless time as they were, we had such things as webcomic rings. Well, this is a newsletter ring where essentially you make reference to other newsletters within your newsletter so people can find out more about them and pass it around. And it's like just a little unifying document and so forth to go with. Um, um, And there's potentially all sorts of newsletters that are out there. I'm not a big one for newsletters because I have the attention span of a tiny, tiny... Yeah, I don't don't know of many. Um, There's John Four's one. I know he does one, which is like GMing tips and advice. Yeah. We send out one from the N-World of News each week. There's been loads of them out there, but... Yeah, yeah. So, like I say, there's uh, in the TTRPG newsletter ring, if you can find a way to get on it, there will be a link in the show notes, and I heartily recommend you do so. Okay. Okay. So I am excited, because the first tabletop RPG I ever played um, was a survival horror, a zombie survival horror kind of sandbox style game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I really love the Walking Dead graphic novels, um, yes. And so when I was playing my first tabletop RPG, being a, a world and rules I was familiar with was like, great. Uh, so and I, re- I really love that. And that's kind of kickstarted my whole career and everything like that. But anyway, uh, related to that, in the news, Free League have announced the Walking Dead universe role-playing game that they'll be making. 
Um, so it is uh, based on the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead, uh, which obviously is... We're not here to critique the TV show, but we all have our opinions about it. But anyway, it's in that universe. So it's that style of like slow zombies and, you know, just everyday people trying to just live. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's obviously it's using Free League's Year Zero engine. And yeah, and they'll be bringing it to Kickstarter in spring of next year. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited because mm-hmm. I love survival horror. Mm-hmm. And I love the the Walking Dead, definitely the graphic novels, because it very quickly with the people that survive like first they're like oh there's zombies everywhere we need to learn to deal with them and they very quickly learn how to cope with them and then it's about how do we just exist like how do we get enough food to keep everybody safe what what do we do if some people get sick and stuff and i just i Mm. personally find that very interesting because we live in such a complex society with so many different connections and we all depend on different things and i think it's so interesting to think of what if that all disappears and it's just you like because i don't know how electricity works (laughs) <laughs> you know i don't know i don't know any of these things i just depend on knowing my little bit in society and that mm. everyone else knows what they're doing but when that all goes away how you continue and and yeah are you still watching the walking dead i am not i dropped off how long ago years years, years ago. <laughs> okay. but i still do read the graphic novels yeah. so um i like the the comic books um mm. but i enjoy the universe and that idea but the tv yeah the tv show lost its way a bit and i think we all know we all know that and we don't need to to, to discuss it too much. I was tempted to go in and have another watch, but... It's about to finish, I think, isn't it, finally? Yeah, it's coming Ooh. up to... That's why I was thinking. I was like, maybe I should jump back in. Has enough time passed? But anyway, so but I'm really excited for this role-playing game. I love, and it's very much designed to be, like they said, uh, players are challenged to enter the unforgiving post-apocalyptic sandbox and learn how to survive and thrive in a new world order. Ooh. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, so I, I'm really so excited. So that's Mutant Year Zero, I take it. Same, yes. uh, yeah. same engine they've done for Hadians and Blade Runner and yeah. Yeah. all the all the other millions of games, licensed mm-hmm. games they do. Free League are killing it with all these licensed games. Yeah, they are. I mean, mm. no yeah. difficulty used to be the king of those. Like, now it's like Free League is now the king of licensed games. I would agree. Mm. I would agree. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So since they let Penny Lines go as press officer, it's been starting to decline. you always knew what was was going on when Panny was in charge or sorry here (laughs) every 30 seconds (laughs) yeah I just think uh, I think they've just got such a good reputation of taking on big licenses and making a good amount of money that probably when they go and pitch for a different license they're like look this is what we can do our last one made a million dollars our last one made a million dollars on launch and and also they make really good quality products as well Mm. like the, the actual books, the artwork and the layout and everything's really well done. So, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to this. Cool. And um, so I just wanted to share that because personally, it that'll be exactly my jam. And also they'll send you one for free. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> if I'm lucky. <laughs> if they do, I've, I, I did back the Blade Runner RPG. So I paid for my copy to come. So I might get another one in the post for free. We'll mm. see. Ooh. Maybe we could g- I'll uh, give it away somewhere. I also backed. Well, I, well, I've got it because I mm-hmm. backed it myself. Yeah. So there. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I've got some news about Hasbro. Oh, okay. Parent company yes. or Wizards of the Coast? Yes, yeah. So, two pieces of news about Hasbro, in fact. Mm-hmm. This is like corporate news, this. Industry so, news. Industry news. Mm-hmm. So, this is. And I don't really understand this stuff, to be honest, stocks and things. So. I'm kind of re- going to read something, and you might understand it better than me. <laughs> but <laughs> so the Bank of America, yes, has downgraded the yeah. stock for Wizards of the Coast, uh, oh. for Hasbro, from buy 
to underperform. This is a double downgrade, apparently, and it caused yeah, yeah. the stock of Hasbro to slip 8.2% in overnight trading on Monday, wow. although it rebounded half of that later in the week. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they've lost several billion dollars. So this is something to do with Magic the Gathering, which uh, an an analyst called Jason Haas, H-A-A-S, Haas, Haas, um, reported that Magic the Gathering secondary market, there was some kind of like overpricing going on or something, that the value Mm. of it wasn't, I don't, honestly, I don't really understand this at all. Um, But basically it's... I was just going to say, they resold the Power 9 as reprints, like the Black mm. Lotus and things. I think even if you're not into magic, mm. you've heard about the Black Lotus selling for yeah, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And they reprinted them, um, and it was a collectible set, uh, but you couldn't actually play with them, I think it was. Mm. Um, and they were like, it was like a grand to get this, and I think it mm. was just overpriced, because if you can't play with them in magic, the value's not really there. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. and I know there are people that collect magic cards, but generally their value is so high as because mm. you play them in, in yeah. the game and the power yeah, they you're, have. You're, you're, buying, you're buying bragging rights, and essentially a black lotus mm-hmm. is you get free mana of any color mm-hmm. for no cost. Essentially, you play the card, and then you're like taking off high. It's like really fast acceleration, which is yeah. pretty strong. Which is how you how you win in that game. Um, yeah. But yeah, but and but I also wonder if it's linked. So I think it was linked. Yeah. So that guy, like you said, Jason Haas was like, they're doing mm. this. Therefore, I say it's not as good an investment. Um, mm. And some men in suits said underperforming sort of buy. And so everyone went, oh, let's sell all our stuff. And now the stock's down 3.8% overall. Mm. Yeah. That's, but, yeah. But in real terms, that is going to translate to several million dollars yeah. of theoretical yeah. worth no longer applying. So, yeah. yeah. So the other news from Hasbro mm-hmm. is... Um, a few years ago, they yeah. bought a uh, TV production company, or yes. film and TV production company, called Entertainment One. Oh, yeah, so I think we talked about it on the, on the show when they did. We did. And it was like 2019 yeah. or something, I think they're it was. They're making, yeah. like, um, they're the ones making the D&D film, aren't they? On yeah, they're kind of like the producers. Mm. Producers, yeah. Not yeah. Actually, yeah um, and also some of the TV shows or, or something like that. They haven't actually produced anything yet, though. There's nothing out yet that they've made, mm. to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. But that's all. They're for D and D, I mean, I mean, I assume the company's made other stuff, but for D and D specifically, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, they are now selling it. Oh, after like three years. Oh right. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, so they bought it for four billion in 2019. Yeah. Okay. And now, they're, and now they're selling it. Yeah. Right. Not to anybody yet. They've just uh, they've just like put it on sale now. Oh, right. they're, they're okay. Exploring a sale process is the term mm-hmm. they use. Right. Oh well, that's obviously. Quite worrying for the people who work there. Um, yeah. Well, from from their point of view, probably won't nothing really change. Yeah. Just the ownership. I, think, I don't know. I don't know why I'm saying that. I don't know that, do I? I wonder no. if this is the general move for the toy industry because I know with the toy industry, like for for children, which Hasbro mm. obviously is in part of, it used to be there'd be loads of you marketed your toy mm. with a TV yeah. show. Mm. Uh, so Transformers, you had, yeah, GI Joe, exactly. Yeah. So that was what, what you adverts. did, and yeah. that was part of the business model. But I've heard, I don't don't take this for it. Heard that model's yeah. going away a bit less because mm. parents get to choose the content their children watch because less and less children yeah. watch television. They're yeah. more likely yeah. to have a subscription like Disney Plus YouTube. or YouTube mm. or Netflix mm. or whatever. Kids, and they don't. That sort of thing, yeah. There's not adverts on them, so kids don't see adverts. Yeah. Because my sister mm. was talking, because my nephew and niece, they're like, you know, around the age of 10. Uh, they don't see adverts that often. 
Mm. They just don't, they don't, so when it comes to like Christmas time, I'm like, what do you want? And when I was growing up, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I saw this toy. And there's, there's this advert with explosions on. I'd be oh, like, buy think, this toy. And they just don't. It used to be though, was that the show was the advert. Yeah. Yes. Like Transformers was basically an advert for some toys. Yeah. They, they might even have adverts around it. I, I would not remember those. And there were I adverts remember around it I wanted well. a Transformer. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but I just wonder if that's a part of the decision as well, because maybe they have shows around that for for kids stuff yeah. i don't know i don't know but i, I just know. think i wonder if that's part of the decision as well outside of but that's outside our realm of tabletop rpg mm. discussions yeah oh the uh, monty python kickstarter's coming to an end or has it come to an end i don't know the, you tell me i don't know i'm gonna look it up now i think it is ending it, if it's not if it's like ending today or yesterday or tomorrow or something yeah let me quickly Google it and call it up. Here we go. Monty Python Kickstarter has nine minutes to go. Wow. Ooh. What's it? What's it on? Now? It's at $1,929,970. And it's at that stage where, as you watch it, it's going up. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to quite make the two. I'm, wow. It's going to either make the two million or not live well, on our podcast yeah now. live on this podcast we will update you in what nine minutes did you say yes yeah we'll yeah. let you know in nine wow. minutes wow I'll just keep on. that tab open there and just keep my eye on it yeah and okay. then as it, as, it, as it approaches the last 60 seconds I'll just yeah. we'll see I'll just bring it up again okay so okay. Uh, <laughs> in other news Dune Adventures in the Imperium uh, so Modiphius posted a new developer blog about the new Dune book that's uh, mm. coming out Masters of Dune and the, yeah, the collector's yeah. edition does look very pretty say mm. it's like a nice uh blue um plain blue mm. maybe faux a leather blue. Yes, yes with like a all these silver kind of graphics that i imagine is kind of that um foiling sort of detail all very yeah. swirly mm. around the planets and things it feels like an object de art does it have yes. yes can you see can you see does it have ribbons because only the very best books have ribbons i cannot see any <laughs> ribbons uh and uh. it doesn't say in the summary but you would have to read the developer blog in detail to check but I have no evidence of ribbons. I can neither confirm I'm gonna, I'm gonna nor no deny. Oh. I can neither confirm nor deny. Concerning developments at Modifius. Well, maybe maybe ribbons. not. They might have maybe ribbons. Not. Just because I don't have the evidence yeah. before me doesn't mean it's not doesn't yes. exist. Much we like much like Russ's objects permanent. As we were talking about object permanence, you can't see it. It doesn't exist. Oh, That's God. Just so much doesn't works. exist right now then. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so this is following on um, from the last box set. Uh, so it's carrying on the story from there um, on Arrakis there. Uh, and it's coming out at the end of November. So um, yeah. And also they've got, in December, they've got asset cards for agents and architects for Dune as well coming mm. out. So if, you, if you're if you a fan of Dune, check them out as well. But the, yeah, the mm. Modifius developer blogs goes into a lot of detail about it. So you can check that out. Pop, pop mm. the link in, in the weekly mm. summary there. Mm. Right. Is there any more news? Uh, there's miniature news. Oh, oh, I saw that actually. Yeah, the monsters from um, the film. Yes. Oh. Yes. You pretty okay. much just said it. So WizKids have made uh, several miniatures, and they look painted, which is great oh. for myself and Russ, who will not paint yeah. miniatures. Um, yeah. And yeah, like really I said, nice, actually. they do look really good. <laughs> yeah. There's an Albert which it looks like it's a dancing. Uh, it looks like it's dancing to me. I know it's not, but it's almost oh. like doing a jazzy ta da. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's jazz uh, hands we've got going yeah. on there. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> that's how I interpret it. I'm yeah. sure that was their intent. But yeah, and it's got like, um, yeah, all the different kind of monsters we're going to see in the film coming out there. Uh, mm. So yeah, some nice, nice minis. There. That mimic looks really good. 
The mimic does look. Oh, the gelatinous cube looks good. It's got like figures inside it. Yeah. Yeah, it's transparent. Oh, it's really cool. They do look pretty well made as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are renders to be fair. But I don't know. The Splicer Beast looks amazing. It does, doesn't it? Oh, it's that kitty. Yeah, they do look pretty good. kitty. Yes. Yeah. I like those. Is it just is it just a forum or uh, that, uh, yes that is yeah. this, that Ooh. in that set no oh no five. there's one there's, there's a mystery, four, there's a mystery yeah. oh Ooh. oh what do you think what it will be? be maybe it's one that hasn't been in the trailer so yeah maybe, maybe. beholder I mean oh, yeah, you are yeah, looking yeah that's yeah, a good, that's a good guess they're, they're all iconic D and D monsters that you don't find outside D and D yeah aren't they yeah so, that uh, makes sense beholder I... or an illithid a mind flare beholder or a mind flare. Well, I we would bet on the holder. I think your first yeah. guess is the best one. That okay. would be yeah, my yeah. vote. I think they're hanging on to Mind Flares because we've got Baldur's Gate coming out. Yeah. And if they do decide to do a sequel, mm. then a Mind Flare is going to be ahead of the thing to put in. In fact, I'll put a fiver that in a post credit scene, they have a Mind Flare doing something tentacly in the background. All right, I'll take that bet. Sweet. Let's go. Do I get a fiver I, I, as well? Are you, are you, are, will you pay me a fiver if you don't? If you, when you inevitably lose? No. Okay. <laughs> That's not how bets work, Jess. I wasn't asking to bet. I was just asking if I could have a fiver. Oh, no, no. I'm going to get a fiver off for us. So, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. I wasn't engaging the bet. I was just like, money was being given out. So, I thought I'd ask. Uh, so, yeah, I'm so innocent. Anyway. <laughs> oh. Shameless gambling. Okay. Although, although I, it's pretty I much how, that, I, like how I got the job sure at publishing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, i well, got to say... If you're uh, paying somebody to do stuff, I'll do something, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a solid thing. Wait, how am I supposed to be paying you? Don't worry about it. Someone else. Some, <laughs> yeah. Money's going into my account, so someone's paying me if it's not you. The, 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 bl- the blank checks are uh, being sorted. Anyway, um, i got to say, I, I, I do normally complain a bit, but uh, eight... I've got to say, eight dollars a model. Actually, these look really nice. They do. Mm-hmm. They're painted. Um, they're well made. Really, really high quality. Yeah. <laughs> I would uh, say these are cheaper than I would think they would be, but I assume mm. that's because they're just going to print so many of them that they can afford. Because mm. if you print anything in high volume, you can do it quite cheap. So yeah, yeah. You have um, to. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky at them thinking I might actually pick up a set myself. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't normally, but it's like forty dollars. But on the other hand, look at um... well, you're gonna have to wait till March 2023, Peter. No. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> is there any more? Is there any more news? Should we mention bundle of holding? For yeah, go on. Mention the bundle of yeah. holding because we've got two minutes to go till the Monty Python thing ends. So we've got to fill two minutes of airtime. So okay. talk about the bundle of holding for two minutes, and then we'll see what the Monty Python is doing. Great. I'm okay. intrigued. What's the bundle of holding? Okay, uh, yeah, as we have two minutes, I'll do a little yes. plug for Level Up because I'm a businessman. Uh, it's my job. It's what I get paid to do. So, what? Bundle of Holding, the website, uh, bundleofholding.com. Uh, so, they yes. do really good uh, offers and deals on PDF bundles of different tabletop RPGs for a limited amount yes. of time. And generally, they do a uh, percentage will go to a charitable cause as well, which is very nice. Hmm. And so, yeah. um, we have given them permission to distribute a Level Up Advanced 5th edition uh, via Ooh. a bundle. And they've got the three core rule books. So that's the Adventures Guide, the Monster Menagerie, Trials and Treasures in PDF format. For a yeah. huge, they put a huge discount on it uh, for twenty four ninety five. So you get the three what? core PDFs, and you also oh, get yeah. Memories yes. of Holdenshire Adventure and the yes. fir- the issue zero, the first issue of the Gate Pass Gazette. With the Artificer in, yes, very good, and the Lycanthropy uh, Heritage Sheet. 
Wow. So wow. yeah, so you get all of that for just $24.95 and 10% goes to Direct Relief as well, which is a charity that sends protective mm. gear and critical care medications to health workers uh, across wow. North America and regional response agencies across the world. So yeah, so I think that's a really wow. good deal. So I think if you've if you've yeah, got all the level up books nice and you're looking to run a game and not everyone on your table has books or PDFs, this is a really good way for them to grab the PDFs and have yeah. a copy and if you've been like holding off because like three big books was a lot to invest in to try yeah. out a new system yeah for 25 dollars getting the whole lot yeah to try it out i i, I mean yeah certainly I, I i personally am a massive fan of a5e tools um because that has a lot of the stuff i care about but in terms of like the artwork i gotta say one of the best things about the books is the artwork because i really like it because it's it's actually diverse uh we've made but I, I know we've shouted out it. We shouted out A5e a lot. Um, I personally don't benefit from it commercially. I just really like it. And I think it's worth having these uh, to have a look at because they're so shiny. Anyway. We have got 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds until the Monty Python Kickstarter What on ends. earth can we find to talk about <laughs> for 30 seconds in order to fill this immense gap of time and space before it is time for us to talk about what it is that we're after, which is to hear about the exciting amount of money that the end of the Kickstarter for the Monty Python, what's it called, Quest uh, Holy Grail or something like that. We want to see just how much money they've made. But how can we possibly Five, hope to fill that sort of three, immense volume two, time? It's very one, hard to say, really. And there we go. <laughs> it has closed at one million nine hundred and thirty-three thousand two hundred and ninety-six dollars. Nice. And 14 cents. Who pledged 14 cents? That's odd. Um, maybe a sh- I, I maybe there's a shipping level, which is know. like 95 <laughs> or something, and it adds up to it. All Monty Python fans are weird, and they just whacked a 14 cents in there because reasons. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That does That's it. Yeah. It's over. It yeah. is over. $1.9 million. Yeah. Wow. Bloody hell. That's well a lot done. of money. That, that is a lot of money. Congratulations to Exalted Funeral for their amazing yeah. Monty Python Yes, yes. They, they they normally do indie RPGs, and this will, I hope, set them up quite nicely. Mm. Greetings, fellow travellers. What brings you to this sacred location? Uh, well met, friends. It has been a long journey, but I come here seeking the jade ringlet of Algernon. As do I! And I! A strange coincidence that three strangers... Should encounter one another like this in such a place. Three weary travellers. Shall we share a meal and exchange tales of our journeys? Verily, for I have much to impart. I, too, have news of import. Oh, but let me start, uh, if you will, my new friends. For I must reveal that, despite my humble appearance and poor traveller's garb, I am Princess Consuela Berevalon, the lost heir, third daughter of the mountains, guardian of the Crimson Grove, and rightful ruler of the Nineteen Duchies. Ah. Ah. <laughs> that is all you have to say, just ah. Well, I mean, as I was about to say, um, although I may be dressed in the clothes of a peasant and my manner be modest, I am in truth Prince Artemis de Gold, returned from exile overseas, keeper of the great waste, protector of the faithless, descended from the bloodline of the first kings, and the true king of the realm. Ah. 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 This is awkward. Well, it, it, it is awkward enough already. Please don't tell me you're also 
the rightful heir to the throne? No, not not so much. Phew. I thought things were going to get complicated there. You see, under this frayed cloak and the dirt of many days travel. Oh, and the smell. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry about that. But under all that, I must reveal that I am King Berison XVIII, current ruler of the land, sea and sky, and all realms betwixt, commander of the Golden Legions, vanguard of the north, and lord protector of this dominion. Ah. Yes. Ah. So, let me get this straight. We three common travellers are, in fact... Yes, two secret heirs to the throne, and, uh... And me, the actual current king, the one with the actual crown, see? Oh, it's very nice. Well, it does definitely suit you. Mm, Thank you. Most kind. Uh, But what is it with this secret monarch trope? You know, I blame Aragon. He has much to answer for. Well, how do we resolve this matter? And to whom does the crown truly belong? Finders, keepers. Oh, nay, sir, we need a fairer solution than that. Well, the old sword in the stone is always reliable. Have you seen the damage that does to the sword? Indeed, waste of good steel. I mean, we can each command the sea to halt its daily rise and observe which of us it heeds. Sir, the sea is 700 miles away. Oh, there's a pond over there. Hi, duckies. No, no, no. We need a better solution than that. Well, I mean, we could put it to a vote. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Good one. Yes, but seriously. Mortal combat? Ah, too messy. Ducking stool? Mm, that's witches. Oh, well, we could all be killed and see which one of us comes back from the dead. No, no, that's zombies. Hmm. Gastromancy? <laughs> Gross. Tea leaves. All out? I mean, does it work with coffee? Oh, sadly not. Um. Oh, what about the uh, magic mirror on the wall? I'm afraid it only reveals the fairest of them all. Hmm. What about the art of tyromancy? Ooh, not heard of these arcane divinations. Wait, tell me, does it involve ancient sorcerous rituals and rare alchemical elements? Well, not, well, not really. It's um, it's more about... Uh, do, do tell. Well, uh, cheese. Cheese? Yes, uh, it's divination using cheese. Next. Oh, okay, uh, well, what about a seance? Bit spooky. Okay, well, then there's palm reading, tarot, astrology, you know, nice bit of dousing. Look. We're getting nowhere here. We need to find a way to determine who truly deserves the imperial crown once and for all. Yeah, you know, those commoners, they're so lucky they don't have to worry about things like this. Oh, yeah, it's such a headache. I'm so fortunate. <laughs> if only they knew of the trials we monarchs suffer for them. Oh, I, I have an idea. Pray tell. Have you heard of the ancient art? Of duckamancy. I have not. Nor I. Okay, it's the holy form of divination with millennia of lineage. And double-blinded peer-reviewed research? <laughs> of course. And then duckamancy it is. What do we need to perform this wondrous rite? A duck. A duck? Yes. Duckamancy is a practice of divination using ducks. Ducks. Um, 
Am, am I not saying it right? Or no, no, we heard you just fine. We were just wondering if you uh, misspoke. <laughs> I understand your scepticism, my friends, but the research is clear. The lowly mallard holds the key to true knowledge. Through duckermancy. Indeed. Well, it's not like we have any other choices. So, do we have to make the dark uh, quiet? That's it exactly. When the moon reaches its zenith, the truth shall be determined by the number of quacks uttered by the holy duck before the sun shall rise forth. So what you're saying is we have to stay up all night and count how many times a duck quacks. I mean, well, that's, that's the short of it, yes. I suppose we should catch a duck then. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget patreon.com slash morris. Can I go now? Our topic this week is all about the amount of detail, backstory, and Mm. other granular content that you should insert into a published adventure, mm. which is to be consumed by a GM who will yes. then have to re-deliver that content to a bunch of players yes. through the means yes. of game mastery yes. or a narratorship. I do yes. want to flag that on EN World, Andrew Peregrine is writing Adventure Writing Basics as a little series mm. on EN World. So mm. um, there'll be more points on there if you prefer to read these things. And he knows how to write adventures because he does that for a living. He does. He's done Victoriana, yes. Doctor Who, Firefly, A Vampire the Masquerade, Dune, June. Star Trek. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you work for yeah. us too, remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I do, but I do. <laughs> Just because George Dredd isn't right available way. to buy from us anymore, I just didn't mm. want to, you know, I get told off for plugging our stuff too often, but it's literally my job. I'm the business manager of a small indie table <laughs> RPG company. I want to talk about cool games. But anyway, um, yes. discuss. Yep. What what advice so, do you have? So uh, you can approach this whole bunch of different um, angles. Mm-hmm. So one of my little bugbears is when you get a published adventure, as the GM, you get this published adventure and it might be sort of like, I don't know. Say it's just a small 30-page adventure. Yeah. And the first four page of it is this long backstory about how the situation got to the point and the history of the protagonists and other people in the, in the adventure. But 90% of that information hmm. will never reach the player's ears. Yes. Yes. And it's not usually that particularly good fiction either. I mean, it can be, but often it's not oh. great fiction either. Yes. Yeah. Um. And you kind of have to kind of wade through it. And my, my kind of feeling on adventure design is don't include information that's not needed that the players are never going to hear because yeah. it's just, it just turns it, reading the adventure into a chore. It's so important. Yeah. It turns it into homework yeah. for the GM. You're not writing a novel. It's, yeah. You're not writing a story for the GM to read. That's not what it is. Yeah. Well, I, I, as I understand it, that was how a lot of second-ed adventures were written. Is that 
that was something I haven't read names. You know, myself. I, can't, I probably I can't remember. It was a long yeah. time ago. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I do remember. Uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but a a major publisher published an adventure that I ran a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and it had this problem, this exact problem, but. Mm. The turgid backstory that I had to read through, I had to read through it, because mm-hmm. it did include some important elements. Like, mm. a paragraph of bullet points worth of important pieces of information were buried yeah. in that oh. prose. So yeah. I did have to read it, and I, and I didn't necessarily know which bits of it were necessarily the bits I'd have to memorise. Yeah. And, you know, so it really did feel like I was revising for an exam. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, um, nightmare. Yeah. RPG becoming, like... The consumption of an RPG has a DM being work is something that I find deeply egregious and really gets at my nose. Mm. Like, I think if someone is GMing your game, it is our job as, like, RPG creators to make their lives as easy as we possibly can, short of actually turning up and running the game for them. Well, it's, yeah, it's another player. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and, and also, dead one fronting the money for the books and most likely this adventure. So yeah, I, 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 I want to make their lives as easy as possible. And it feels like a lot of stuff. It just seems designed to get in the way, which I find very, I mean, I understand there are reasons that you cannot have a stat block or on every page where a monster is mentioned because that will yeah. devour your page count in nothing flat. It will cost you extra in layout and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do understand that. But things like PDFs, they should be hyperlinked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, I think, as an industry, we can go further and do better than information presented as it was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm just going to get on my horse and say, you know, we should have things like, um, if you know very clearly what your adventure is supposed to look like, have not just a map for the GM to look at and present to the players, but also have sort of a, almost like a story chart as well. This is the way things are going. I mean, there's just so much stuff that could yeah, be improved. I've seen flowcharts come up more. I like a couple of mm. Wizards of the Coast Adventures, D&D Adventures have done that recently as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Tell you one other bugbear I've got. Mm. Site-based adventures, when you've got a map, and it's got a lot of rooms, and before the session, you don't mm. necessarily know which rooms the PCs are going to go into, yeah. or how far they're going to get. So basically, yeah. you have to read the descriptions of 100 rooms, mm. 50 of which you won't use that day, and mm. another 25 of which are just tedious. Just like, this yeah. is a storeroom. It has a mop and a bucket and, and, it's like, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I kind of feel like site-based adventures, I think you could probably get away with cutting out all the detail apart from the important locations and just mm. say to the GM, just assume the other normal stuff exists. If the players go, is there a loo? Mm. Just say, yeah, there's one over there. You know, you don't yeah. need to, like, describe it. I, I, I Unless it's important. Unless it's yeah. important. Yeah. You don't need to make the deep... The, the GM sit there and read the description of the loo, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's basically like um, there are different GMing styles. Some mm-hmm. people enjoy having everything in sort of a long form written description. Yeah. Uh, See, like, I never read text aloud. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that I hate is it. like I hate, it. I I hate I when I GMs like... do that as well because it takes yeah, like, like, to it. Hang on, let me just it. tell you this bit. Okay, so. Then you walk into the room. She says, ha, ha, da, and I was like, oh my gosh, no. Yeah, because reading aloud and making a bit of text actually sing is actually very hard to do. I, yeah, I find, yeah. for me, just say it in your own voice. In the, yeah. uh, just say you're talking to these people. Just mm. say it in the way that you would say it to those people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, and you can have any, as many likes or ums in it as you like. It doesn't have to yeah. sound like you're on stage reading Shakespeare or anything. Mm-hmm. You can just, yeah. you know, you, it can be as casual or formal as you want, whatever. So yeah. as soon as you feel relaxed, you're communicating the information in a way that is engaging to you. And yeah. if, it's engaging, if it's not engaging to you, it won't be engaging to anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right there. It needs to be something that the GM can make their own. Yeah. Uh, I am a huge fan of bullet points. Yeah. And rather often, than, rather than read loud text, a bunch of bullet points mm. is a good way to do it, I think. Yeah. And, and think about your room descriptions. We've got like our map, which tells us where they're going. We've got it cross-referenced. Hopefully, hopefully in a sensible order so that all of them are like in the same section rather than just going across going, okay. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, mm-hmm. except that E, F, and G, you cannot get to in that fashion. They are way off somewhere else that you had to take a completely different route to get to, uh, because that I find very disorienting. Whereas if you have like, okay, well, this is like the east wing or that section, and you put like a sort of a meta information about it. So and it tells you all about how you've got a starting off point or something, and it tells you all about it and you go along it so you can see in your head as well when you're reading the text where you are in the dungeon because otherwise it's just like pages and pages uh what's it uh dungeon of the mad mage uh that massive thing from wizard of the coast where they just like copied and pasted everything and updated it to fifth edition into a giant volume that was terrible for it drove me insane trying to try and follow it most of the time so i've never run it for good reason Sorry, that sounds very bitter. I'm, I apologise. I'm sure they did their best. But it is actually very hard organising information. But it's something you need to think about. How the information is laid out. And then bullet points for the descriptions of each room. Because then when you're... Like, notable things at the top. I know yeah. indie RPGs, they really nailed this. There's a lot of really on-point stuff with that. I think um, it depends... I mean, going back to site-based stuff again. Mm. It depends also on what the location is. Like, a dungeon mm. is different to a house. Yeah. Yes. And if you're going in, if you're, if it's something where players already have a mental image of what that thing is, if yeah. I say, um, okay, you're going into Lord McBannon's manor, it's a big manor house on the country estate, they kind of know what that means, that is. They know what yeah, that yeah. looks like. You don't have to mm. really describe it in detail. Mm. All right, yeah. each player will have a slightly different image. One guy will be thinking, yeah. I, you know, Downton Abbey, someone else will be thinking some, something else and something else, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter too much. Yeah. You know, they know it's going to have a big entrance hall. They know there's going to be some big stairs going upstairs. You know, there's mm. going to be a bunch of bedrooms. They know there's going to be a dining room and a drawing room and a big kitchen. You know, mm. all those things are standard. Don't yeah. have to call it out. They know that. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess that you depends don't have to if, go... if you're doing theatre of the mind compared to using a map as well. Yeah, well, if, if combat breaks out, yeah. obviously you need to whack, whack, whack a map down. But if mm. combat hasn't broken down, it's like... They've gone into the hallway yeah. and, and someone goes, oh, I want to go into the drawing room. You don't have to go, okay, well, there's a there's a, a door to your left and you can go through that and then if you do, it's like, mm-hmm. no, okay, you go to the drawing room. You know. Yeah. I mean, that, that does, but that's not really something you can do with the adventure. That is more of a presentation style there. But yeah, I mean, I agree. So that's site-based. So having bullet points and maybe longer description mm. with stuff. Uh, because for a lot of stuff, it, you can either improvise it or there's like a lot of different tables, a lot of yeah. which are free, which lets you come up with random things to put in. Or I quite like making it up on the fly. That's always a good laugh. Yeah. Well, that's I also mean, the- A5E Tools actually has that amazing random book name generator, which I have mm. not had a chance to use yet, but I'm very much looking forward to. Have you Have you seen that, Jess? The book generator on A5E Tools. I, I, I have not used it. No. I made that. 
Yeah, yeah. But, but it's like basically it's a book title generator. So uh, you pop along to A5 Tools. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just a Peter playing Russ's work, but yeah, that's, yes. uh, that's pretty standard, gotta say. Um, unless you wanted to do it, Russ. No, you go ahead. Yeah, you, you can explain it. So it's at the tools, random book, tape, and it's like how many books do you need? Uh, I would grab like uh, fourteen, generate it, and then it just comes up with stuff like a history of the caverns of fury by Lord Hubold Silverhand. Mm. It's a stained publication, the boundless encyclopedia of spirits, a brief mm. history of the Fane of ice. Like King Kaito the Accursed. Yeah, and there's all sorts of like things that you can get from that. And if you also have some actual books, you can throw that in to make people more excited. Because otherwise, I just start reciting the names of um, Lovecraftian-style tomes, like Nasprolic and Culleton and the Necronomicon and stuff. And people tend to notice those after a while. Mm. Yeah. So one one of the other things you can do is when you're dry, when you're um, designing adventure. Think about the order of the information you present to someone about a location. Hmm. If you're walking into the dragon's lair, ah, yeah, the first yeah. thing you see is a dragon. You don't really necessarily notice the colour of the curtains. You yeah, know, it's it's you don't start by describing the room and then describing the paintings on the wall and then that and then right at the end of it, oh, and also there's a big dragon in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. You just walk yeah. into a room and say, "There's a dragon." You don't really notice anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, yeah. I I think I know why people do that sort of thing. Mm. And that's because players are very impatient and like to seize the initiative. Mm. Uh, so quite often, this has happened in games that I have run, including games I have run for you, Russ. Mm. <laughs> I, I open up with the most relevant things first, and it's, I attack it with my axe, comes out. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to set the scene to make it more than like a cup of orcs playing cards in a 20 foot by 20 foot uh, bare room. Because mm. they're playing cards on the table. So, yeah, yeah it's like yeah. trying try to give you some information. But, yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying. It's important to get... So, so you, you're arguing that we should go for, like, the most relevant stuff first and then fill it the in the most noticeable stuff first. Mm. Like, yeah. if you imagine yourself in that situation, you walk into it, what do you notice? Yeah. And if there's something really important dominating your field of vision, you're not going to notice other things. No, it's true. I, I, I would like to think that I would probably notice the dragon before I notice whether the columns of the ceiling holding up the ceiling were Doric or Corinthian mm. it would only be if there was something really oh, yeah, weird yeah. like if the thing holding up the ceiling was a load of like tentacle arms or something Cthulhu-esque mm. then that's worth mentioning yeah that, that's sort of thing that would uh, get you mention, the, mention yeah. the novelties hey, are you familiar with what is kind of famously the worst bit of descriptive text ever written for a, for a module I'm not I'm would not. you like to share so this with was in, this was in a adventure I think it was first edition adventure called Forest Oracle which is generally held up to be one of the comically worst adventures ever written. Okay. <laughs> so I've probably spent a lot of time on that. If you, have, if, you ever, if you ever start a conversation online about the worst D&D adventures ever, it will come up. Oh, This okay. is an example okay. of uh, one of the bits of descriptive text, but it's full of stuff like this. Mm. So, a group of seven men approaches. Okay. They are following the road east and are making good time, neither tarrying nor running. Basically, this whole thing is just telling you what they're not doing, listing things they're not doing. So seven <laughs> men are walking, are, yeah. Okay. Yeah, their faces are expressionless, 
One is dressed as a, tra- a cleric of some sort, another is dressed as a travelling drummer. The others could be peasants or serfs, going from one location to another for the harvest season. Each carries some sort of weapon. It is plain that they are not soldiers by their haphazard way of walking. They do not seem to be joking loudly or singing as they advance. But what else are they Can't not quite. doing? Please exactly. rule out yeah. all the options of what they could be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, instead of just saying they wore a red jumper, it's like they were wearing a jumper that was not blue, green, so yellow, what this is, orange. It's a, gr- a, a group of seven bandits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the whole thing is just full of that. Absolutely yeah. full of it. See, this seems to me like somebody who's a writer that's used to writing a, a novel or something like mm. that. But because writing yeah. a novel is very different because you want to take the reader on a bit of a journey and surprise them and bring things out. But mm. you don't want to do that to a GM. Mm. It needs to be something they can get the information quickly, that they can skim through, look back and mm. reference. It's a different writing style. Mm. Mm. That's what I say, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I know writers who use subtext. They're all cowards. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're correct. It is a different writing style. There is a conceit in uh, popular fiction that you should not express things directly, that the messages yeah. of art should be hidden. Because i got to say, it does make me feel very clever when I'm able to decode hidden messages or hidden ideas in art. But, you know... Sometimes you just got to say... But this is an adventure module. Dragon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, to be fair, I am. Uh, the GM doesn't I, um, have time to try and figure out what they're trying to say. I'm not going to argue. I, I write, like, my, my, my RPG publishing does tend to be dry instructional manuals, which lets people know how to do stuff rather than, like, trying to evoke a story. Because I think. That's what you want, hmm. right? Yeah. Sorry. Well, like, to, yeah, in, in some respects, like, for, for a lot of the stuff I want to do, it's like, yeah, I want you to think about that sort of thing. For an adventure, what do we need in it? We need bullet points to get the information across. We're trying to transfer information from our heads to this theoretical GMs on a relatively low bandwidth thing because we don't have the sound of our voices. We don't have YouTube videos. We literally have the words on the page and maybe some pictures. Um, mm-hmm. And pictures cost money. Yeah. And as, so that, that's, a, that's a tricky one. And as the writer of this adventure and also as the GM, hmm. You don't fully mm. know what the players are going to choose to do either. So you can't make oh, it too... God, You've got to just lay out the situation mm. as it is, say what everyone's mm. motives are and what they're mm. trying to achieve, and then mm. just see where the chips fall. Because adventurers can do weird and wonderful things. Which is yes. part of the joy of running, I assume, is when mm. a player goes, I'm going to do this. And you're like, I hadn't thought of that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. The topic is kind of about how much detail you put in there. Yeah. So, but I, I think I mean, that's I the reason... I would err on less detail than more. Because mm, mm, mm. I believe that the GM can sorry, just I, I I think that the GM can easily fill in a lot of mundane detail without having to have it explicitly said. Mm, they don't mm. have to explain what's on the dinner table. The GM can make that up on the spot. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, yeah. You know. Or say there is a dinner set before them and lead the players to fill in the blanks, which I'm a big All fan that, of. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, often the players will say, Is there a and it wasn't until they asked, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And Seems less legit. detail makes it easier to skim back and reference something as well. Because mm. like you say, you're mm. not going through a paragraph to find those bullet points with the two bits of information you need. It's just... Yeah, yeah. 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 I feel like it's like a real tension between like law, L-O-R-E, and improvisation. Because yeah. I, I hate trying to run in existing settings. 
because um, I'll probably make mistakes about the law or if a player interprets the law differently from me, then they'll be like, oh, I thought it would be like this. It's like, oh, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know, apart from probably Dragonlance, the law of many no. D&D settings well at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think I could say I know the law of Dragonlance. I know I like what I've seen. Yeah. But I've never played in it. That, yeah. that would be loads of fun. I don't fully mm. comprehend the lore of my homebrew game for the story we've made there. Mm. So let alone the story someone else has made that I have to remember. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what's going yeah. on in the campaigns I'm playing in. So, you know. Yeah. And how yeah. much lore is too much lore anyway? I mean, how much lore do players need to know in order to have a good time in a world? Not much, I think, really. yeah, there's a minimal amount. And also, I think you get to the point where you as a player don't know it, but your character would. Like, mm-hmm. and I do that all the time. Like, in my game, mm. I'm like, you know, um, about this culture region we're in, my character's been mm. here before. Did, would they know about this? And then mm-hmm. the GM can either go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You would know this. Or they can make yeah. you do a role based on your cultural knowledge yeah. or whatever. But it's so much better to have that introduced to you in game yeah. rather than. As a separate info dump. I hope that's what yeah, we're doing yeah. with Dragonlance, because I haven't done any homework No, yet. no, I've, I've, I'm, uh, I'm putting together a 300-page document. Uh, you're going to have to memorise it all. Um, there's going to be a test before we start. I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be fair. It's going to be a test before we start. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with us. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail that test. <laughs> is it yeah. online? Am I allowed to just sit with Google open while I do the test? <laughs> is oh, it an open no, book no, no, no. exam? Oh, oh, open book. Oh, dearie. Yeah. Yeah, they're the hardest, in fact. Anyway. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, so, detail. Minimal law. Only only law that you really need. Yeah. I yeah. think. I, yeah. I mean, to be fair, if you're writing something down, it should be something that somebody should be reading mm. because it's serving a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's all structure that you're trying to put together. Yeah. Um, I guess also how long should an adventure be? Well, that varies entirely, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. Oh, well, I, I guess, I guess that we haven't even defined what we're talking about with adventure. I know what I'm thinking of my head. It's like a single, like little module, which is three to four hours long. Oh, so okay. so like a, a a bit you would put into your long running campaign. So it would be like a session. Yeah. This is the yes. like an episode of a TV series style one. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. me, that that that, that, that would well, be quite get, good. I guess yeah. you're thinking something bigger, like yeah. maybe well, something no, more campaign. I, 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 no, I would say something that includes that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking of a range. I don't think I know. I don't think I don't think I define it. I'd say an adventure is could mm. be a pretty much any size. Well, the adventure path would seem to me to be well. An adventure path is multiple model, adventures in my mind, yeah, which are combined with a common say yeah. meta plot and or storyline. Yeah. Is that yeah? Uh, but the adventures can be large or small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you could have um, I don't know level one to three or something. Mm. That would take two, three adventures. Yeah. I mean, like, adventure paths traditionally, Paizo are kind of like the king of adventure paths. Yeah. And what you tend to get is six adventures taking you from one to, like, level 14 or 15 or something. Yeah. So So it's two or three levels per adventure. Yeah, each of those is composed of a a discrete unit of adventure, which will have scenes and an episode, if we would. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. So do we do we like the idea or? But then again, if you take Curse of Stride for example, yeah, let's look at a two hundred and fifty odd page book. Yeah, that wasn't different adventures. That was one adventure. I would mm. call that one adventure. But it's broken yeah. down into sections, isn't it? So it's yeah. got different yeah. chapters, yeah. like yeah, got, uh, module modules, so forth. Well, I mean, anything have... anything could be broken down into anything. Like one dungeon could be broken down into rooms. 
regions, rooms, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, we're, we're looking for the functional thing you can run in a session. Yeah. So obviously, well, there isn't a great definition, is there? It's just no, I'm, I'm just wondering if we could agree one between ourselves for the purposes of this discussion. Well, I would say Curse's Trad fits the definition of adventure, but so does a six-page yeah. adventure from inside a magazine. Mm. So both okay. of those things would be adventures in my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like a, a matter of scale. So you've got like either, I guess, like a campaign-scale adventure to a session-scale adventure, and maybe a multi-session. Because uh, an adventure path from Paizo. Which is the same size as Curse of Strahd, I mm. would say is an adventure path of six adventures. That's okay. how they're structured. Mm. Mm. So it's not a size thing necessarily. You can have an adventure that's as big as an adventure path or vice versa. So so it's the structure that is yeah. quite important. Yeah. yeah. Not that it matters, yeah. we're just this is just like, you know, <laughs> rhetorical yeah. nonsense really, isn't it? I mean oh, okay. adventures yeah. whatever you want it to be, I guess. But um Yeah. And yeah, there's solo options as well, but yeah. Uh, yeah. standalone. Yeah. Yeah. One shots. Yeah. I mean, Jess, you haven't really run much. Of anything, no. Yet. Yet. Uh, (laughs) What would help you, um, what has helped you, like, be able to engage with things? Yeah, well, I think what you're saying about not having too much information and lore, because as someone new Mm. and looking to start gemming, that's intimidating. Um, Mm. So, like you say, like, bullet points or quick information is giving you the context are really mm. important. Something I can reference back to if I'm in the mm. middle of a venture and I've forgotten whatever. Mm. Something I know yeah. where I can get back to it. So I think layout and graphic design has is actually quite mm. important in adventure oh, God, yeah. design yeah, as well yeah, yeah, for those referencing. Yeah. The main thing I would want to know because of the style of GM I think I will be mm-hmm. will be I basically want to know what's going on, what's the plan of the antagonist in the scenario. So Say, for example, Curse mm-hmm. of Strahd. We're like, this is Strahd. This is what he's about. This is what he's trying to do. And he's going to try and get mm. there via these steps. Because mm. then mm. if I know that, no matter what the players do, I mm. can, I know what the, the, you know, the antagonist is trying to, to achieve. So I can just react to that yeah. in that way. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I would, I would want to do it. Yeah. But, and I think I would be, I want less detail, exactly like what you're saying. Oh. It's fine yeah. to say this is a dining room, there is a dragon in there. And on the spot, I can make up any other details yeah. I like. Or I could even tie Got in tables. things that are relevant and mm. callbacks to, to mm. things that happened earlier. I can just decide mm. that. Yeah, and customize it to your party. Exactly. Which is, which is always well within your remit yes. and what you should be doing. Yeah, which would be fun. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think an adventure doing that as well and making it into bite sized chunks for me so it's not intimidating. Mm. So if I'm preparing mm. for a session, broken yeah. down into like kind of this is going to take three or four hours sort of chunks would be great for me because then I can, I don't have to take it all in at once. I can just kind of skim through the whole thing and then mm. prepare just before the session with that little bit to read through. Get ready in that way. Yeah. So okay. I think those are the things for me. And references to other things um, would be mm, useful. So, for example, totally. if they're like uh, a zombie comes in the room, just put in brackets next to it on page blah 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 of wherever. Yeah. So, so I that's know where to go. Interesting because Wizards of the Coast policy is specifically not to do that. I know. Because they expect that, that... me to just know that. Yeah. But yeah. I don't. I mean, they, 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 they put a monster name in bold, and the rule yeah. is you look in the monster manual. And in a, works, in a PDF, that's oh, fine because okay. you can click on it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it depends what you're doing. Like Adventurous League modules, which are designed, which to me they are like the pinnacle adventure design in many ways. Okay. Which I know is probably going to be a very controversial statement, but I really like. Yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I really like the fact that you can take it, you can run it, and has a GM 
My preparation is I might skim through the module once, mm. but you can, and I have done, run it cold. As in, pick it up, start going. Yeah. And that see, is, that is see, 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 for me, hmm. I love an adventure I can run cold. And the more yeah. detail that you add in, the less yeah. likely I'm able to do that. Yeah. 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 So it's like, um, you've got sort of cold start and, or maybe even just like identifying which bits are background in mm. some fashion. So they're clearly able to be like, okay, well, this is what I, this is the bare minimum I need to know to run this adventure. And mm. this is the nice snow, which is yeah. the next bit. So what I do like, you know, adventures tend to have an overview section at the beginning. Yeah. Which is a good idea. It's a great idea. But sometimes the overview section. Well, it's an executive summary. Yeah. And that's sometimes, king. Yeah. sometimes that section is too long. Yes. That section should be as bare bones as possible. Mm. Just the real, real basics. Yeah. I and, mean... Uh, just so that the GM can read that, and they, they've they read that, and now they instantly know how the rest of the book, what what's in the rest of the book, how it works. Yeah. 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 So, scientific papers, you've got an abstract, that's like 200 words max. Yeah, if. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. I, and if you can do it, then that... That is the sort of yeah. aim I feel... Uh, you'd you'd probably be surprised at how much detail you can leave out and still maintain mm. the core of the story there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess you have to be really keen on what your core story is. Because stories usually aren't all that complicated in an no. adventure. <laughs> <laughs> this is another thing, just a writing style thing I'd say as well. When referring to NPCs, always mm. use their name opposed to just yeah. then saying they in the next sentence. So be like, Sarah, mm. you know, is walking down the street. Uh... Then they did this, blah, blah, blah. because if you're skimming through, it's really easy to be like, yeah. who are they talking about? So always use their names instead of their pronoun when you're talking about yeah. them in an adventure. And, and this mm. was the thing that I saw Andrew Perrigan put on the EM World site. He said, name your mm. NPCs differently, especially yes. the first letter of their name being different. Because even though, like, oh my God, he says yes, something, yeah. even though Sarah and Simon are very different names, when you're skimming through, yeah. people generally just pick up the first letter. So have mm. the NPCs' mm. names be different, so it's not confusing for you as a GM, yeah. but also for your players. And also make sure yeah. you can pronounce them. Well, so no adventures will be written <laughs> by you, Russ. <laughs> or just confidently pick how you're going to pronounce it and make it canon in your world. You can't even pronounce, you can't pronounce it'd be nice, them. It'd be nice if your players could also pronounce it. <laughs> well, that's well, nice to have, If they, if nice they hear have, you yeah. saying it, then that's yes. how it's said, isn't it? Unless you're doing it from a specific culture and then, you know, maybe look that up. But if it's a fantasy well, made up accents, thing... That's not so good. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I, let's not get into that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the whole naming thing is very controversial because then you get into, like, if you come up with a nice fantasy name, there is a solid 90% chance that if your players can turn it into some sort of obscene or puerile-sounding word... Mm. Yeah, that's the fun. They will... Okay. Part of the fun yeah. of being a player. Yeah. Just giving them a stupid yeah. nickname. Yeah. yeah, Lord Softhead, the Death Knight. Exactly. Yeah. We've all kind of agreed, though, that less information is usually better than more when it comes to adventure design. Yeah. We all seem to have said that. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you wanted, you could have a chapter before on law. Mm. Yeah. And then you could reference if you really wanted to, but don't have that mm. in the actual middle of the adventure bit. So, so I, could, yeah. I could basically tell you the law in the Dragonlance campaign. I'm going to run. Go on then. I'm going to... In the session zero, I do a little law bit. I will do a little, and it'll be like a minute. Okay. I'm basically going to say it's a world. There was a cataclysm 300 years ago. The gods disappeared. Dragons haven't been around for a thousand years. That's about it. And you can learn the rest as you play. I don't think yeah. you need to know that much more than that. Yeah, cool. That 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 sounds pretty ideal, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. that's the big yeah. that's the big point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the key point. Yeah, 
Hmm. Uh, something else. Oh, what was I thinking about? With oh, with, and again with NPCs, sometimes like a sample line of dialogue that you have in can be helpful. People aren't always going to be able to do that, but if it's something that helps people get the character's voice into their head, mm-hmm. then that can be like a great start. Yeah, I always think for me when I do NPCs, I model them after movies or TV performances that I'm familiar mm-hmm. with. Yeah, uh, so, just because that creates. That does all the work for me. I don't, I don't need any detail at that point. I just think of that person. What would that yeah. person do? Or how would that person <laughs> say that? Or how does that person sound? You know, I know what that is. And I won't say that out loud. I won't yeah. say, this person is like, I don't know, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> you know, I won't say that. But yeah. I think subconsciously, if you're basically, all right, I'm not an actor. I can't do a Clint Eastwood accent or, <laughs> or sound like him or yeah, anything yeah, like that. And that's and not- all this confusion. Did I fire five shots to fire six? Yeah. Obviously, I'm not going to be going around doing my best Christopher Walken or anything like that, because I... I, <laughs> I would love if you did, though. <laughs> oh, so would I. I'd love to be able to do a good Christopher Walken. I, I think at least in this upcoming campaign, one of your NPCs has to talk like William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> I'll study Shatnerisms and see if I can do that. But anyway, um, I think yeah. you'll find it. Surprisingly easy to talk like William. You need the gestures to go with it, though. Yeah. (laughs) But what I think, if you've got someone in mind, that will affect how you play that character, that NPC. And the players won't necessarily pick up on who it is, but it will be consistent. Because every time you play that NPC, you'll be modelling it on the same inspiration. So it will be inconsistent, and they'll kind of pick up subconsciously on bits of it and fill in some of the banks themselves because of that. Yeah. And I find so, that kind of works. Yeah, so a sample line of dialogue or make some references to films that your player, that yeah. your GM might have seen. And say, this well, is what I had in mind. You go nuts on what yeah, you so, but Yeah, so but the reason I said that was exactly what you just said. So mm. what about if in an adventure, and I've never really seen an adventure that does this, but probably they mm. do. What if they just did sort of say, um, I don't know, the bartender is Kurt Lowbridge, and then in brackets, think Clint Eastwood. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Would that be a thing you could do? I would like that sort of thing. Assuming that was kind of assumes that the reader knows who the character is, but you can with YouTube, you can yeah. investigate that very quickly. Yeah, very maybe, I mean, maybe giving a, a range of reference points hmm. or giving some different. context, being like a rough yeah. and ready cowboy like Clint Eastwood or whatever, hmm. you know, because that's who, well, yeah. who he is. Obviously, I mean, it depends. It depends where you're going from. It's like are you going Clint Eastwood the cowboy. You're going Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry. Exactly. Because those are yeah. Clint Eastwood. He's not. He's not. But yeah, I think if you were doing a character reference, it would be good to give uh, a bit independent of the character, just a brief description of who they are, and Mm. in addition, the person. Because, like you say, if people don't know who that person is and don't have that reference point, yeah, that's just an idea. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is, with detail in adventure design. Less is more. Use bullet points. Also use long-form text, depending upon who you're trying to reach. Try and keep the law in a clearly marked and separate thing so people can really delve into it without getting lost. Use graphic aids. Um, mark by graphic, we don't map. mean like pornographic. We mean. Why would anyone think that? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, use graphic aids, uh, as in Visual aids. using pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, indeed. Uh, and just try and imagine if you were, use your empathy and imagine if you were trying to run this cold, what would you require 
to be able to do that. And that's that should be your focus. That's good advice, Peter. The only <clears> thing I'd say is some people do not have empathy, so they may struggle with that part of it. Okay. As I, I anyway. assume by looking at the world and the status in at the moment, I yes, assume that yeah, must be a common issue. Anyway. Oh, I hope all these people are playing our games. Well, none that's of those people will be listening to this fine podcast, so no worries. That's true. Okay, then. All right. On that note, I think probably we're done, aren't we, for today? We're done. Oh, yeah. Woo! Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Just just for the listeners, as this is a podcast, I am in fact wearing a tiara and a jumper with a duck yeah. on it right now. And I did not know the sketch was going to have a duck in when I got dressed this morning. So, you, you know. That's spooky. That's yeah, that. just a full-on mallard proves, right there on my jumper. That yeah. proves that duckamancy is real. It is. It and is that real. I should be the one to wear... The crown, and as I and the person here, with and you, tiara. I'm sure you have a tiara, and yeah. I suppose you and win. And it's green; yeah. it matches the duck. <laughs>